Do you remember growing up as a child, it seemed like Christmas took so long to get there? <laughs> it seemed like it would just take forever, forever. Um, we, Meredith, for years, and we're sort of moving out of that stage somewhat with our kids. And, uh, but we, we've always done something to sort of help the time go by faster. And uh, Meredith would pull out these little things where, where, you, where like an Advent story Christmas book calendar to help count down the days, you know. And uh, we'd pull these things out and, and we, we read these as a, as a, as a family. And, uh, but it, it seems to me that the older we get, the faster Christmas seems to come. Golly bum. I mean, I'm, I'm to the point I don't want to take down Christmas lights anymore. <laughs> I don't even want to put up Christmas lights anymore, but that's just, but you know, can you imagine, I mean, one day when I, when, you know, when I get really rich, I'm going to have me a house and I'm going to have retractable Christmas lights. <laughs> Bart, you can make a killing, baby. I've shared it with you now. Retract, your soffit comes out, he goes, and you mash a button and here comes the Christmas light. Soffit closes back up and baby, it's Christmas time. <laughs> 11,000 people go to the emergency room every year as a result of putting up Christmas, Christmas decorations. <laughs> Randy, I think we can save on health insurance. I think there's a way. I mean, that's the way you do it. <clears throat> How many guys would love to have retractable Christmas lights? Yes. There's only a couple of women that I know that put up the Christmas lights, and they are manly women. They are ready to go. <clears throat> and they only do it because their husbands aren't willing enough to do it. But... Uh, I just stepped all in that. But anyway. <laughs> Waiting for Christmas. The dynamics. Faster and faster, slower and slower. But this is the dynamic of Christmas. Is that we wait. We wait. Um, but this is what we know. It's coming. Regardless of faster or slower, this is what we know about Christmas. Larry, she's coming, baby. In just a few days and about what? How many days? 16 days from now, Christmas will be here. It'll be here that day that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, and that same period of waiting, that same dynamic of waiting is something that, that has been prevalent. And it was, it was the same dynamic of waiting that those early, early, um, early believers, early Followers, those, those, those Jewish believers, it's that same anticipation that they had that first Christmas, that they were waiting. Um, for so many generations, there had been that remnant that had, that had waited on the promise that had, that had been made earlier on. They were waiting that day not for Santa Claus to show up in a sleigh with some presents, but what that remnant was waiting on is they were waiting on the, the promised Messiah. They were waiting on him to arrive. And there were a group of people, even as small as they were, that lived their lives in obedience, believing without a shadow of a doubt that he was coming. That he was coming. And this went on for generation after generation and after generation. And can you imagine? There were generations of people that died believing that the Messiah was going to come, yet never experienced the fulfillment of that promise. And as a result of that, there were many, many people who walked away from their faith that lost hope. Lost hope. 
there were some that abandoned their faith and, and eventually believed this, that the story that they had been told, that had been passed down by their ancestors was nothing more than a myth. That's pretty hopeless. Yet there was that group of people that held on, that held on, that believed that there was hope. Now, two of those people we're going to talk about today. I want you to, to, to turn with me today to the book of Luke as we, as we talk about the story of two people that refused, in spite of the circumstances, to give up hope. This is a pretty intense story as we begin today, and we're going to try to go into some history, and I'll read you guys a, a few things because I really think it plays into the story, and it helps us better understand just how hopeful and how persistent uh, these two people were. And we're going to be in the book of Luke, which is found in the New Testament, the New Covenant that we find in the second half of the Bible. This is one of those books that is a part of the entire book of what we call uh, the Bible. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us about the stories of Jesus. And today we're going to be in Luke's account as he wrote to us there in the book, in his book called Luke. And we're going to begin in chapter 1. And this is what I want to say to you. If you've not experienced this, you know, we're coming out of a series when God doesn't, when God doesn't respond to you the way that you think he should respond. What are you supposed to do? And this is what I want to say to you again as we start today. If you've not experienced that time when things seem hopeless, you will. And in the midst of that, that time of hopelessness, you're going to have to make a decision. Jim, what you're going to do? I mean, are you, going to, are you going to hold on and hold tight? Or are you just going to give up and walk away and say, forget it? It was just a myth. You're going to have to come to the place that you're going to say, okay, do I really believe what I believe, what I think I believe, what my parents taught me, what that pastor seemed to talk about so much that I said that I gave my heart to, that I wanted to follow and have faith? Do I really believe it or is it just a myth? Because if it's just a myth, I'm out of here. But if I really believe it, how am I going to respond to that? And so we're going to talk about two people today that are going to, that are going to give us a little bit of an idea of what it's like to hold on. To hold on. And if you've not experienced it, you will. Because every one of us are going to go through, going to go through a season in our life when it gets tough and when the questions come. So with that thought in mind, I want you to turn back uh, again to Luke chapter 1 and let's read. <laughs> because listen, this is, the guy, this is the deal about the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas is about Jesus. But it's also about us. Let's take a look at it today. Let me pray with you before we do that. Father, speak to our hearts today and would there be something be said in your word that prompts us to grasp a nugget of truth today that when we walk out of this room, we will have and hold on to that we didn't have when we walked in. There are some people that I know here that are at the place at the bottom of the pit and they're just trying to grasp for anything that they can. And God, today what I pray is in the midst of talking about the beginnings of the Christmas story, that you would give them something to say, he's real. And I believe, I believe. Give us undeniable hope today as we talk and as we share your word. In Jesus' name, amen. And this is what Luke recorded to us in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. He says this, when Herod, now this is the Herod um, that would desire for all and give the um, order for all the male babies in Bethlehem to be 
murdered. And do you remember why that was? Because he was afraid that there was coming a king. The prophecy had, had the religious leaders had shared with him the prophecy that there was coming a king from this area that would rule and that would be a shepherd over the people of Israel. So his way of trying to, to, to cut that out, he said, listen, I tell you what I'll just do. I'll send my guys in and I'll just have them annihilate all the babies, all the, all the male babies. So this is which Herod it is. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and you might want to underline Zechariah because he's, he's number one character that we want to focus on today. He was a member of a priestly order of, um, of Abijah and his wife Elizabeth, you might want to underline her because she's our second character in our story, was also from the priestly line of Aaron, which basically meant that they had been raised uh, in religious homes and that these were religious people it meant that they had come from a long line of religious leaders. And it says in verse 6 that Zechariah and Elizabeth, the two characters that we're talking about today, were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. It meant that these people that we're talking about today, the characters in the story that we're looking at, these people were right people. These people were people that were careful to obey everything that God had commanded them. These two people had held on to the truths of God. And these two people weren't just religious people. I mean, that if you would have put up a surveillance camera, these people would have been the same people, the same character, the same integrity, the same believers, whether they were in the temple or if they were at home or if they were at work or if they were out at play. These guys were the real deal. Now, can we say that about you? I mean, are you really the real deal? Are you who you say you are here when you stand up to give a testimony? Are you the same person in your home and are you the same person at work? If not, Houston, we've got a problem. But these guys were faithful and they were righteous in God's eyes. They were righteous. They were faithful. And they had lived their life based on the promises that God had given to Abraham 2,000 years ago. Several years, several hundred years of silence had taken place, yet these two people held on daily, believing and expecting the coming of the Messiah. Even when there was no promise um, there was no, actually no evidence that God's promise might be kept. That's pretty, that's, that's pretty significant. What do we call that in, in today? What do we call When something that's told you that's going to take place, there really is no evidence that it might take place or, or um, it might w will happen, yet you continue to hold on. What do we call that? Faith. Faith. Forsaking all, I'm willing to trust God. Him. These guys had set aside and they said, regardless of what circumstances seem to be going on, I will live by faith. I will hold on, even when, it, and it's, when there's a possibility that what we've heard and what we have thought and what we have read and what's been passed down to us might not come to pass. We're still going to hold on and we're going to believe and we're going to live by faith. And so you got Zachariah and Elizabeth who seem to have it all together, trusting God, living by faith. And look at what the next verse says, verse 7. Yet they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. Now, this is what you know. <clears throat> Within that culture, barrenness was a sign of disgrace. It was also a sign of dishonor. And it was also, a, 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 many people thought, a result of disobedience, that God was punishing them for something. Yet in the midst of that, what was going on in their life, they still held on. <laughs> wow. 
I mean, a woman named Elizabeth who served God faithfully, yet she was barren. And it, it wasn't like she had just dealt with this. This is something that she had been dealing with all her life. All of her life because look at what it says. And they were both old. Now, I don't know what you think old is, but old is old. Old. I look through here and I see some old people. Old people. Some of us are older than others. There comes a point in time when old is old. And I think here what he's saying is they were old. They were both old. Very old. In other words, what the writer was saying, I want you to know they were old. So if you don't have this thing figured out, they're so old they can't have children. It was past their time. It was past their prime. And here they are living in the shame and the pain the whole time, yet serving and being faithful to God. And this is what I happen to know about infertility. See, it just wasn't a struggle that, that, um, that Elizabeth had, but it was also a burden that Zachariah himself carried around. In that culture, it was believed that barrenness was the woman's fault. But Zachariah said, no, it's, it's, it's a shame and it's a burden that we both bear. It's a burden we both bear. And here they are being faithful to God based on a promise that was made to a guy by the name of Abraham 2,000 years earlier when God supposedly appeared to Abraham and he said these words, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make you famous and you will be a blessing to others and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with content and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And this is why the Jews felt that there was much more for them than what they had ever experienced. This is why the Jews held on to the story of Abraham. I mean, here is Abraham who is childless, childless. And later on when he was two, they had a child. They had a son. And that son had a son. And that son had many sons. And as a result of that, that, that whole group of people would move and the nation of Israel would be formed and they would move back eventually to the land that God had given them, to the promised land. And they would become a kingdom. And it looked like during that time that God was going to do what He said He was going to do and He would bless the world through them. But this is what we know. God wasn't done yet. God wasn't done. And some of them said, well, maybe this is how the promise that was made to Abraham will be, be fulfilled. And then came along David and Solomon. And at that time, it's just like everything began to explode because here's the power and here's the influence and here's everything that they needed with possessions. And you, thought, you would have thought from, from just logical thought that this was the time that God would leverage everything that, uh, that Israel had and bless the people of, of the earth. That if it were going to happen, it would have been during that time. But this is what you know. This is what we know based on what history tells us. That it was after that that the whole, everything began to fall apart. Fall, fall apart. Went to pot. Got all messed up. The split, the nations, the wars, the good kings, the bad kings. And between Solomon and the time here that we are with Elizabeth and, uh, and Zechariah, the nation of Israel had changed hands more than 25 times. They had been taken over by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, all of these. And they were even exiled from their own country for a period of time. And then we come to a period of about 65 B.C. when a guy by the name of Pompey shows up on, uh, on the scene. He was a Roman general. 
And as a general, what he would do is he would march into Jerusalem and he would take over the city. He would march past the priest into the temple, into the Holy of Holies. And that's the place that the Jews believed that God resided. And the only people that were allowed in that place is the priest as they would go in once a year to offer sacrifices. But here's Pompey that is so pompous that not only does he, does he siege the city, but he walks right through into the place to desecrate the temple. And out he walks. And see, they believed. They believed that if somebody went there and they weren't supposed to be there, that God would strike them dead. Yet this guy walked out. Wow. It didn't take long for word to spread. All of a sudden, people around Jerusalem were talking. And you see, you know the implication, like I know the implication. The implication was God's not powerful. See, the God of Israel is not maybe real. Maybe he's weak. And the implication was for those that were there, the God of the Romans is much more powerful than the God of, the Israel, uh, God of Israel. That the God that they had set aside that said he's the main one, Jupiter, that he was more powerful than Yahweh, the God of Israel. Jupiter was their God that was sort of the God, their, their main one that they, that they worshipped that was supposedly the God of the sky. And when he'd get angry, he'd get ticked off. He'd supposedly, they believed that he would throw lightning bolts down. And he was the one that would bring about natural disasters like earthquakes and, and hailstorms and things like that. But the implication here was that God was weak. The God of the Israelites was weak. And in the midst of all of that stuff, you've got this Roman general that walks in and desecrates the temple and totally disobeys and, and throws away the customs and the traditions of the Jews that are there that are worshiping God. And can you imagine the implication for the Jews? Yet, here's a young boy by the name of Zechariah because, because he was raised in that priestly line. His father was a religious leader at that time. And he saw and he heard about this whole story of everything that took place. I have to believe that Zachariah and Elizabeth, as they got older, would wonder, have to wonder why in the world, looking back, God didn't do something. I mean, because not only would they be in that home, but here they would now enter in. He would enter into that priesthood, and now he would become that leader. And don't you think that those thoughts of, why didn't God show up? Why was God silent? Don't you think that those things had to go on in his mind as he would go in? And he was carry out his duties. And it was during this season that many of the Jews turned away. And they turned away from temple worship as well as God. And they thought it was all over. Anybody ever quit and just give up because you lost hope? You ever played a video game with your kid and just sort of said, oh, I give up. They got so far ahead of you. You ever given up in a baseball game? I mean, somebody's up 20 to nothing. It's like... You know, it's like the sixth inning, and they're like going, what are we doing here, you know? You guys just go ahead and swing the bat so we can go home. <laughs> Have you ever given up on your marriage, and you just said there's just, there's just no hope? Have you ever been in a place, and financially you just said there's, there's just no hope, and you quit? See, this is, this is what I know. When one person gives up, it's easy for that to become contagious, isn't it? 
You ever seen one person give up and that influences another person to give up? See, hopelessness is contagious. It is. Usually when you see a marriage crumble, usually there's another marriage right behind it that's been waiting to crumble. They've just been waiting on somebody else to take the first step. No hope. But Zachariah and Elizabeth didn't turn away. Even though people around them had given up and they were quitting and they were walking away from their Jewish history and heritage, they didn't quit. And I'm going to tell you what, this story today is very important for us because we must be reminded to hang on as Zachariah and Elizabeth did. Because every one of us is going to have a season in life when we're just going to quit and give up. That regardless of how we feel, this is what we're going to see in the Christmas story, that God always shows up on time. It may not be your time or my time, but he always shows up. Look at what it goes on to say in verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. To be chosen by lot was like the uh, putting your name in the bag and it being drawn out, you know, uh, sticks, you know, one that gets the longest stick, what do you call that? Yeah, drawing straws. But see, from their perspective, they did that because they believed that the person that was chosen was chosen by God. They didn't believe in luck. They, believe, they believed that it was the person that was chosen that one was the one that God wanted to, to be a part. And the fact was Zechariah, the fact that he was chosen was huge. And it says in verse 10, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So Zechariah's inside by himself. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken, and he was overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But then the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Why do we always see that in Scripture when an angel appears? Don't be afraid. Watch out. If an angel were to appear to you, what would you how would you respond? And this is what the angel said. God has heard your prayer. Have you ever wondered if God hears the prayer? See, how many of us are wondering right now if God heard us pray, have heard us pray over Tracy, have heard us pray over Mike and where he's at right now in the hospital, or have heard us pray over the prayers that we've prayed for Leanne's dad, or have heard us pray over marriages that have been falling apart. Sometimes we get to wondering whether or not God hears our prayers. And man, isn't it an awesome thing to see here? God has heard your prayers. Your wife Elizabeth will, be, will, give, will give you a son and you are to name him John. John that we know as the baptizer. And you will have a great joy and gladness and many will rejoice <clears throat> at his birth for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord and he must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn away many Israelites to the Lord their God. And why would he turn many Israelites back to the Lord? Because many had turned away. And when John would bring back the reality that, listen, I want to let you know, God's up to something. Repent. That was John's message. Repent and turn back. Repent and turn back. And to some of you today, the message might be repent and turn back. See, you've fallen away and you've given up. You're still doing your religious duties, but you've given up hope. 
You've given up hope because things haven't went your way. And so you're sort of over here on the side doing your own thing. And John would say, repent and turn back to God and live and be faithful. That's what he would say. The same message that John preached to those at that time is the same message that's preached to us today. Those that have claimed to know Christ, yet have turned and walked away from Him. He would say, repent and turn. And some of you here today may need to repent and turn because you've given up. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Remember here, God hadn't done anything. There was a period of silence for 400 years and they thought that God had abandoned them, yet He had not abandoned them. And He says in verse 17, He will be a man with the Spirit and the power of Elijah and He will prepare for the people the coming of the Lord. And He will turn their hearts of the fathers to the children and He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That's a polite way of saying, listen, I really appreciate what you're saying here, but don't you think you're just a little bit too late? That season has passed. We prayed. We prayed. We were on our knees and we begged God that He would remove the barrenness. But don't you think that now is a little bit too late? Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. And it was He who sent me to bring you the good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at a proper time. Define proper time for me. God's time. He didn't say Pat's time, and he didn't say Sandy's time, or Mike's time, or he didn't say Doug's time, or he didn't say Corey's time, or John's time, or my time. He said in proper time, God's time. God's time. And which which we would say, you mean to tell me that God's got a He's got a calendar, and, and on that calendar, God's got some specific times that He's set aside. He just don't sort of fly by the seat of his pants. I didn't say it. His time. You mean to tell me that God had a time and when He saw that those that were abandoning their faith, that He didn't sort of speed up things so that they wouldn't lose faith? Hmm. He didn't do that. Didn't do it. You mean to tell me when somebody gets sick and they're dealing with this, that God doesn't just up and answer our prayer so that all of a sudden we can just, whoo, we can take a breather? No, God didn't always do that. You mean to tell me that God heard all the prayers and that He was listening, that even though silent, God was not absent? Yeah, that's right. Proper time. In verse 21, he goes on to say, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering what in the world is taking so long. And when they finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. And then they realized from his gestures and his silence, that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. What do people see when they see your life? When they see you walking out on the highways and the byways of life, 
Do they see that you've seen a vision from God? Do they see in your life by by what takes place and what's going on, do they believe that you've seen a vision? Because this is what I know. When, When you see a vision and God has impacted your life, it impacts the lives of those around us. You want to see God? Let others see Jesus in you. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterwards, not a long time afterwards, but soon afterwards, Elizabeth became pregnant and she went into seclusion for five months. And her response was, how kind the Lord is. He's taken away my disgrace of having no children. (laughs) See, this, this isn't the ending of the story. This is just the beginning of what God was getting ready to do. Um even though there were those that had walked away, even though there were those that had lost hope, there had always been a small remnant of people who held on and believed. That they passed down their faith to their children. And they passed it down to their children's children. Why? Why did they leave a heritage of faith? Because they had hope. They had hope. And we think about heritage and and I've just been reflecting on that name. What better name for us to have? What better tagline for us to have than not only just living a legacy of faith, but leaving a legacy of faith? Does that ever enter into your thought processes during the week when you're spending time with your family, when you're spending time with your, with your friends and your co-works? Does it ever enter into your mind that my role is not just to, to play church, to do church, but to understand that I am the church and that I have a role to be a light into the world so that all men may be drawn, not to me, but to f- put to the Father. Has it ever entered into your concept, to your mind, that, man, maybe God's just at work doing something that we can't even see? And if we were just willing, willing to say, God, I surrender. Whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do that God would do something that's more powerful, that would have more impact than you could ever dream or imagine, not because of your talent, not because of your abilities, not because of what finances you have, but just because God said, I've just been waiting for somebody to say, listen, I'm willing for God for you to use me. Undeniable. They would not let their hope be quenched. But now God had spoken and a time had come and all of a sudden God would begin to put into action everything that He had promised to Abraham. That every nation on the earth would be blessed. And look at how the story ends and the next story begins in verse 26. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, she engaged. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And see, here's the tension for all of us, guys. We all are faced with the tension. Do we hold on? Do we remain faithful when God doesn't show up? Or do we just let go? Do we let go? Do we hang in or do we throw up our hands? Do we create our own plan or are we willing to wait patiently for what God is doing? And every day on our knees say, I will not let go.
I mean, will we maintain our integrity in the midst of something that's going on? Or will we cut that shady deal just because we wonder, is he really real? Do we give up just because we aren't getting the recognition that we think that we should receive? Or do we give up because we don't get the, not only the recognition, but maybe the promotion or the pay raise that, that we think that we should be offered? Do we run? Do we run? And do we say to ourselves, why in the world should I really worry? Because I don't think God cares anyway. Because if He cared, I wouldn't be in this situation. In every generation, guys, there's been a remnant that's held on. A remnant. And Zachariah and Elizabeth were a part of that remnant. And they held on. And we sit here today because of their faithfulness. We sit here today because they refused to give in. When everybody else was bailing ship and everybody else was running away, Zechariah and Elizabeth, even though they knew what was going on, even though they knew the facts, they knew the history, they said, we will obey and we will remain faithful. And see, the challenge for us as believers, for those of us that are here today, that are followers of Christ, the question is, you know, um, Sharon, are you going to hold on? Because you're going to go through some difficulty. And there are going to be times when you don't think that there's no hope. And Don, are you going to hold on when the bills aren't being paid? When things don't seem to be going right, are you going to be willing to hold on and say, God, even in this right now, I'm going to trust you that you're doing something that I can't see. And Chad, whew, I mean, are you going to hold on? Man, are you just going to grip and say, I'm not letting go? Because this is what I know. Every one of us are going to walk through a season in life when we're going to be just like those that ran away and we're going to want to run away too. Because it just doesn't seem logical. But the story that we find inside of Christmas and specifically inside the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a story of hope, of undeniable hope. And it's our responsibility as heritage. And it's our responsibility as believers, wherever you are, to be that remnant that continues to hold on in spite of what takes place. To understand that we've been given a responsibility. And it's not just about showing them up on, on Sunday morning and doing our religious duties. But what it's about is about holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That He is our hope. And that regardless of where we are, where we've been, or what's happened in our life, that we can know that there is hope. Not because of our actions, but because of Jesus. Because God the Father knew our condition. And that's why Jesus came. Because He knew that we couldn't save ourselves. I look and there's some rotten people in this place. And it starts with me. I don't know if any of us would love for our, 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 our life to be shown on this movie screen. Maybe there's some of you, but I doubt it. Because every one of us have those times in our life that we're embarrassed. Because we felt. And see, there, I just know this. I know this because history teaches it and because I know it because I've experienced it myself. But I want to hold on. And I want to pass that legacy of faith. I was reading a story coming in. and it was, I mean, We are blessed here. Our kids, our, we are blessed. 
They learn the stories of the gospel, it's, but it's not our responsibility to teach them those stories. We're partners with you. We're partners with you in the gospel. It is your responsibility as families to teach, teach your children God's word and to instill that. It's our role as a church to partner alongside of you. This isn't a dump it off zone. But I'm going to tell you, I am so proud of what goes on in our classrooms and our environments on Sunday mornings. I'm talking to my kids this morning. I'm reading the story to him. I'm saying, okay, we'll do it. And, and Caleb, you know, he's my little, he just knows everything. He starts, he starts telling me the story. And, 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 and uh, I've got Ann in the back. She's going, hold on, hold on. Let me find that in the Bible so I can read it too. But the story of Christmas is a story for us. And it's a story that is to encourage us us to hold on even when we think that all hope is lost. That song, O Holy Night, has a line in it, and this is what it says. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the world lay in sin and error. Does anybody know what pining means? Miss Rebecca, what does it mean? To long for, to anticipate, to wait patiently, waited patiently. And Christmas is a way of reminding us that our longing and our praying and our waiting is not in vain, but that we can have undeniable hope. Why? Because God not only makes promises, He keeps promises. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? And so as we walk through this Christmas season, the encouragement is going to be to hold on. Hold on to wait patiently. Because our Father is at work. Is at work. And we can trust Him. Would you bow with me today? Father, this is what I know. There, there are those that are here today that are right in the middle of why in the world do I bother? Why in the world do I pray? Why in the world do I hope and why do I believe and why do I do the things that I do when God seems to be so far and non-existent? <laughs> Lord, this is what I, I pray that you would do through your word, that you would remind us, Father, that even though we don't sense your presence, you're there. And that you see everything that's going on and you know and you've called us to wait patiently and in that to remain faithful. Don't I want to be like Zachariah and Elizabeth? That when everybody else might seem to bail out, that I'm holding on. I'm holding on. Because I know that you're a father who is a promise keeper. Help us to live like Elizabeth and Zachariah, to live faithfully. And as they did, believe that you are God and that you can be trusted. For those of you that are here that are believers, that are struggling, this is what I'm praying. As, as, uh, as, a, as a body, as a family, don't be willing to be, to be afraid of acknowledging that sense of hopelessness. Don't, you're not in a world by your own. I want you to know that, that as, a, as a family of believers, that there are people here that are just waiting to walk alongside to say we're here. You don't have to walk through cancer alone, and you don't have to walk through finances alone, and you don't have to walk through brokenness in marriage alone, and you don't have to walk through life alone. That God designed us to live in relationship with Him, but also one another. 
And that sometimes God allows us to walk through these things so that our faith can be enlarged. So, Father, when we come to the place of feeling that we're hopeless and that, that all hope is lost, let us be able to verbalize that. And may, as the body of Christ, may we run to that to provide encouragement. We need that because every one of us will walk through that moment, that season, when we just want to throw our hands up and give in. But for those of us that are here that may not know the story of hope, there are people that are here today that are going, you just don't understand what I've done. You just don't know to the depths of my sin and my, my foolishness. And the only thing that I can tell you is, no, I may not know that, but I know God does. And the Bible teaches me that He still runs to me. And He's willing to kill the fatty calf when I turn and I repent. Why? Because He rejoices at those times when we realize that He is God and we're willing to turn and repent, as was John's message. So if there are people here today that have never trusted Christ, that are at the place that they say, I just want to trust Jesus, even this morning, Father, would they acknowledge the fact that you're God and that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross? It was, it was in the words of John that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. And so if there are people here today that don't know Jesus, Father, would they just say yes to you to acknowledge their barrenness and the brokenness, to acknowledge where they are and be honest, and yet look to you for hope and realizing that hope isn't found in their activity, but it's found in your son Jesus. And if they're here today, Lord, it would, might even be a prayer like this that they would pray, Father, I, I'm sinful and I'm broken. Yet today I acknowledge my sin and I want to trust you and I want to follow you in Jesus' name. And in the midst of that prayer, this is what I know. It's not that prayer that saves, but it's the trusting. The prayer only gives you a way to acknowledge. And if you've prayed that prayer today, I just ask that you'd come to me and talk to me after this service and say, I want you to know that I trusted Jesus. But in the meantime, this is what I challenge our people today, that, Lord, that we would hold on and be faithful and be willing to wait patiently, that we would understand that we are a remnant of God's people called to live and to leave a legacy of faith. You've given us the name of heritage for a specific reason. May we be faithful to live it out. A good name is extremely important. May we live up to that name, not because it's a church name, but because we're your child. I'm a child of the King. And so as we leave this place today, may we go and may others that see us see that we have walked with God. And in that, may they even begin to ask questions. Where in the world have you been? And what is, what is it that makes a difference in your life? And through that, even they come to know Jesus. So we pray a prayer of blessing. I pray a, a prayer of hope. And I pray a prayer of repentance for those that are walking away from God that need to turn back to Him today. And I also pray a prayer of salvation for those that are here today that say today is the day that I want to trust Jesus. This is the Christmas story. You always come on time. So may we wait patiently and be faithful. As we leave this place, in Jesus' name, amen.